0: 2nd Timothy One day we'll finish. 2nd Timothy, please. Chapter 2. And this morning we'll go through verses 8 to 13. 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verses 8 to 13. Let me pray before we read God's word. Lord, thank you for the songs that we have been singing. Thank you that we have the freedom to sing them in this country. Thank you, Lord, for this building that we can meet in. Uh, You are good to us and you have provided for us. And so as we look at your word this morning, help us focus on you. Help us focus on what you are saying. Help us not think about others, but think about you. And Lord, may we hear the word as if we're hearing it straight from you, that you are speaking to our hearts, and we need to hear. So I pray that we would listen. In your name I pray these things, amen. Second Timothy, chapter two, verse eight. This is God's word. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering bound in chains as a criminal but the Word of God is not bound therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him if we deny him he will also deny us if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself what an amazing passage of scripture and as you read these words you have got to remember that these are Paul's final words. He knows he is about to die. He is in chains. He has a few more months to live. And he has something to tell Timothy. And he has something to tell you and me this morning. The words, remember Jesus Christ. Do not forget him. In all that you do, whatever happens to you in your life, that's what God is saying to you this morning. Remember Jesus. Do not forget Jesus. That is, of course, the big word in our passage this morning, the word remember. And that word's a problem for us, isn't it? Do you know why it's a problem for us? We're really bad at it. We are really bad at remembering. Just even things in general, we are really bad at remembering. Think about it just in your life. How many phone numbers do you remember? How many phone numbers do you actually know, can actually say them off by heart? You might remember your your friend's phone number. You might remember your husband's phone number or your wife's, hopefully, or maybe your children's. But beyond that, how many numbers do you actually remember? And here's what actually happens to most of us. You're filling out a form. (laughs) This is me earlier in the week. You're filling out a form. What's your number? Um, You know, you're trying to think of even your own number. And some of us save our own numbers on our phone. We are bad at remembering things. It happens to me in our house all the time. Our kids will ask me a question, a question that I should know the answer to, a question that I should know and remember, and I don't. So we use this phrase in our house. They come to me, they say, Daddy, do you know this? I'm like, I don't really know. And the phrase in our house is this, Daddy, Google it. Because Google knows everything. Google remembers everything. And we in this world were trained in a way to forget. And then there's some of you who are really organized. You say, I don't forget anything. But the only reason you don't forget anything is because you use a tool that's called a calendar. And without that tool, your finite brain probably wouldn't be able to remember what's gonna happen on Tuesday. Yes, you can remember the routines of your week, but if anything changes in your week, you say to yourself or other people, if I don't write it down, I won't remember it. We forget. There's something, and and it humbles us, doesn't it? Our brains are so finite that we can't even remember something new that's going to happen on Tuesday. And yet sometimes we think we know more than God. Oh, we are foolish people at times. And throughout the history of God's people, not only the practical things do we forget, but we forget what God has done you know, you read about God's people in Exodus, don't you? And they say in Exodus, they, they grumble and they complain as the Lord provides for them throughout the wilderness. They grumble and complain. And you know what they say? Can't we just go back to Egypt? And you want to grab them as you're reading it and say, you foolish people, don't you remember what happened in Egypt? You were slaves. You are suffering and hardship and persecution and you want to go back, you've forgotten what the Lord has done. And then as you read and you say, I just want to shake them, you go, oh yeah, that's actually me. I forget all the time what Jesus has done for me and I especially forget it when my life is hard. I especially forget it when I'm suffering. And so Paul says to Timothy these really important words as as he's leaving the ministry and and leaving this life and, and leaving Timothy with a ministry that's going to be hard. He says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as is preached in my gospel. You see, there are a few things that Paul wants us to remember. And the first thing that we need to remember is this we need to remember that the gospel is preached. That's what he says here. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. We need to remember the gospel that is preached. And now I wonder, you know, if Paul was going for an interview for a you know a missionary group or something and 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 Paul was sat down in this interview and and they asked him a question they sat down with Paul and and they said to Paul Paul you know we're thinking of sending you on on missions but but we kinda need you to know something that's really important here's what we need you to know what is the gospel so Paul here's what we want you to do we want you to tell us the gospel and he sits back and he says well well, that's easy gospel is this, Jesus risen from the dead and descended from David, that's my gospel. To which they would say, haven't you forgotten everything? (laughs) Those two things, you want this job, you want us to send you out, and you're just going to go with those two things, risen from the dead and descended from David. Surely you're forgetting pretty much everything everything else about the gospel. Surely you you must talk about about the virgin birth. Surely you must talk about Jesus' life. Surely you must talk about His obedience. Surely you must talk about the beatings that Jesus suffered. Surely you must talk about Jesus crowned with a crown of thorns and beaten and spat at. Surely you must talk about the nails in His hands and His feet. Surely you must talk about the cross, at least, and Him buried. And yes, you mentioned resurrection, but what about his ascension? And what about his intercession? And what about the fact that he's coming back again? You've missed all of that. There's no way we can send you out. So what is Paul doing? Well, of course, he he knows the gospel, and of course, he talks about Jesus' death earlier in in 1 Timothy, but why, why is he focusing on these two realities when he's talking to Timothy, who's going to suffer? Because he's highlighting two of the most important aspects of the gospel which speak about victory. Timothy, you're suffering. And Timothy, I know you know that Jesus has died on the cross. But as you suffer, remember that my gospel says Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And I think sometimes, even in our circles, yes, we remember the cross and we should. Yes, we remember the burial and we should. Yes, we remember the beatings and we should. Yes, we remember the blood and all that, and we should. And many of our crosses, they show him there on the cross, blood stained. But, my friends, the tomb is empty. He's not there anymore. He has risen. This is the glory of the gospel. This is the victory that we have in Christ. And this is what promises us new life. He has risen from the dead which means hope for us that one day though our bodies may suffer, though we may be beaten or whatever happens to us in life, the resurrection is our hope. Jesus is the resurrected Savior. And then he says, Jesus descended from David. How important is that in our gospel reality? This points back to the covenant that that God made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that there is coming one, who will reign on the throne forever. Now what he is saying to Timothy is this. Jesus has risen, but it's not past tense. He's writing in the perfect tense, which means this. He has risen, and that is still the reality right now. He is risen. And then he says where he is. Where is he? He is seated on the throne of David, and he is seated for eternity. He is our savior and king. Remember Jesus in that light. Don't just remember him as a baby. Don't just remember him dead on the cross. Remember him risen and seated on the throne, descended from David. And then he says those beautiful two words. My gospel. I love that about Paul. This is no route religion for Paul. This actually means something to Paul. It is personal to Paul. This is my gospel. I want you to remember my gospel. So my question for you this morning is this. Can you say those words? What Shane is talking about this morning, that's my gospel, that's mine. I do believe he's risen. I don't believe he's just an historical figure that died on a cross. I believe he's risen from the dead, that's my gospel. I believe he is seated on the throne of David, that's my gospel. I believe he is returning again, that is my gospel. Is it your gospel? Have you trusted in this Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you know that you have eternal life? That when you die, do you know this? That when you die, you won't just get put in the ground, but that you will be raised from the dead. That's my gospel. And if you don't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection hope is not a reality for you. And so I would call on you this morning to trust and believe that that gospel, it's mine. And for those of you who do believe and trust that this gospel is mine, do you believe it in the sense that Paul is saying it? Not just believe it intellectually, but do you cherish it? Do you actually, when you hear the gospel, you say, that's mine, that's precious to me. Some of us, our hearts have grown cold Some of us are more in love with the intricacies of the scripture than the Savior himself. (laughs) Jesus gave out to the teachers of the law. He said to them, you search the scriptures because you think in the scriptures, in them you find life. But no, it is the scriptures that testify about me. I've studied with many people who love the scriptures more than I think they love the Savior. Cherish the gospel, my gospel. Remember the gospel that is preached. The second thing he says about the gospel is this, remember that the gospel is not bound. Verse 9, for which this gospel as preached in my gospel, verse 9, for which I am suffering bound in chains as a criminal but the word of God is not bound. That's another phrase that Paul uses, the word of God. He uses that phrase for the gospel. I'm in chains. I'm suffering. But the gospel is not bound. The gospel is not chained. Do you notice what he says? Do you notice the reason for his suffering? For, verse 9, could say because. Because. Because of this, I'm suffering. Paul is actually suffering because of the good news of the gospel. In other words, what you could say, not in a negative sense, but you could say he's blaming the gospel in effect for what's happened to him. I'm suffering because of this gospel. And he's not just suffering in any way, do you know what he says? He says, bound with chains as a criminal. And this phrase criminal, this word criminal here, is only repeated elsewhere in the New Testament once. In Luke chapter 23. And it's spoken of the criminals that are either side of Jesus. Which means they were the worst of the worst. And what Paul is saying here is, I'm not under any house arrest here now. He's in a different type of arrest. He's in Roman imprisonment. And he is being treated as the worst of the worst. The most serious of criminals. One person writes about this word. He says, this word refers to violent people who have no conscience. Mostly thieves, punished by arrest, tortured, Limbs cut off, I won't read all the details. Eyes gouged out, I'll read that one. Beaten and afflicted and often martyred, killed. This is how Paul is being treated. And the reason Paul is being treated that way is because of what we call the good news, the gospel. We often focus on The blessings of the gospel, and we should. With the gospel, we are justified, and that's good news. With the gospel, we have been adopted into the family of God, and that is good news. We have sanctification. We have forgiveness of sins. The blessings are endless with the gospel. But there's also another thing that comes with the gospel that we often forget to talk about is the suffering that comes along with the gospel. He's saying, I'm suffering because of this. If we are to follow Jesus, it's not the pathway to friends. It's not the pathway to your best life now, it's not. It could well be the pathway to rejection and suffering in this world. And you think, oh well, that was the reality for Paul. Well, actually, it's, it's also the reality within our history of churches. We heard this morning Philip talk about our history. Do you know that suffering is also in our history, in our churches? Cork Baptist Church was founded in the 1640s by a guy called Edward Riggs. And he had an estate um, probably seven miles out from Cork City. And on the estate, there was this family that lived there. He was, one, he was the founding member or one of the founding members of Cork Baptist Church in the 1640s. And he had this estate, and there was a, another family on the estate working. And the family were called the Delon family. And there was this young fellow who was part of the family. His name was Thomas Delon, And Riggs, he preached the gospel to him. Invited him to church, told him about Jesus, and Thomas Delon trusted in the Savior. He worked in Kinsale, in a fishery in Kinsale, uh, for many years. And we hear of this talk about Thomas Delon that he suffered, um, I don't know, was a quite persecution to that extent, but it was certainly mockery and whatever else, which ended up leading him to move over to London When he moved over to London, he joined the Baptists that were in London there and he wrote many books and he proclaimed the Savior there. But there was persecution of the churches in London in the 16, later 1650s, 1660s, 1670s. And he wrote this one book. He wrote this one book that the state church didn't like. And so they arrested him for it. They arrested him for writing a book about the realities of the gospel. He was imprisoned in a prison called Newgate Prison. He was there for two years. He was fined, but he could not pay the fine. It was about 70 euro. He couldn't afford it. He couldn't get out of the prison. Later, because he couldn't pay the fine, his wife was thrown in prison. His two children were thrown in prison. And Thomas DeLong, there in that prison in Newgate, from Cork City, born and raised, he died with his family. All because he wrote a book about Jesus. Suffering is part of our history. And it could be part of our future. Listen, I don't know, but I do know this. There are people in society right now getting arrested for what they write in however many characters, 150 characters or whatever it might be, because of what they write online. Not condoning it, I'm not saying it's good, I'm saying that's kind of worrying that people are getting arrested just for writing something. We heard on Friday night, uh, Steve was leading the study really well for us, that people are getting arrested for peaceful protests outside abortion centers, just to call people to the truth, not oppressing them, not hurting them, not harming them. I don't think things are gonna get any better. And then the reality for us is, with sermons recorded, things being written, I don't know what's gonna happen. But I do know this, we're not promised the best life now. We're told that with the gospel can come suffering. But here's the hope, though they bind us, though they chain us, though they may fire us, whatever may happen, the gospel is not bound. The gospel is like this fire, right? And when people persecute Christians, do you know what happens? It's almost like chucking petrol on the fire. The thing goes nuts as people proclaim the gospel. Persecution actually works for the forwarding of the gospel. This is what Paul said in Philippians when he was arrested there. Paul was arrested quite a lot. You know that, of course. And whenever he was chained, house arrest or this arrest, The gospel went forward. Paul just saw it as an opportunity. I mean, if you're going to be linked to me as a guard for your 8, 10, 12 hour shift, whatever it might be, do you know what I'm going to do with you? I'm going to preach the gospel to you. You're done. You're going to hear this good news all day long. Bring on the next guy all day long. You're going to see me writing. You're going to see me preaching. You're going to hear the gospel all day long. You just keep going. Bring it on. It's almost like that. And Paul says this to the Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. You think that the gospel is under pressure. No, it is not bound. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ when he gets arrested everybody knows about it everybody knows that it's about Christ and then he says in verse 14 philippians chapter 1 verse 14 And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what Paul is saying is, you're all crying and you're all worried about the fact that I'm in prison, but listen, everybody's getting saved around me. I just have more opportunity for the gospel, and people outside of here are more enthusiastic about preaching the gospel. This is the perspective that we are to have, to remember that though they chain us, the word is not chained. In your workplace, you may be asked soon to sign things that you do not agree with. That will be between you and the Lord. But if you choose not to sign, there might be suffering. Decide now. Choose today whom you are gonna serve. For those of you in school or going to school, you have to decide now, are you going to serve him? And if you do, the reality is for you, even in school, whatever age you are, you might lose your friends. This is what we're called to, but as we do, we remember that the word is not chained. So, Paul calls Timothy to remember the gospel that is preached, to remember the gospel that is not bound, and to remember the gospel that saves. Verse 10, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Because the word is not chained, here's my conclusion. Do you know what I'm gonna do? I am going to endure everything. I don't care, Paul says, what they are going to do to me. I will take it all on for the sake of the elect, for the sake of God's chosen people, that they might come to know him and come to be saved. You See, this reality of election does not stop Paul's evangelism. It actually propels it. He says, I'm suffering, I'm in chains. Now here's what's going to happen. I'm going to keep going because God's chosen people are there. And salvation is awaiting them. So I will do anything for the sake of the elect. This is what God's people were called in the past and even now his chosen people, his elect people. In Deuteronomy 7, it talks about Israel, and God says this of them, for you are my people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you, Israel, to be a people for his treasured position. Out of all the peoples of the face of the earth that he could have chosen, he chose them. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all nations, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He's saying to them, I didn't choose you because you were great or big in number, no. I didn't love you because you loved me, no. I chose you because I chose you. I chose you because I love you. And that is true in our gospel too, isn't it? We love him because he first loved us. Do you know what? That helps in our evangelism. That helps me sleep at night. It helps me sleep really well at night. Do you know why? Because salvation belongs to God and not me. Have you ever had times where you can share about Jesus with people? You can talk about Jesus with them. And you come back after the conversation and you're like, I messed that up. I mean, if there is a way to mess that up, I absolutely mess that up. I had opportunity, I should have said this, and you're trying to go do over and you feel all guilty and all that kind of stuff, and you just say, I messed that up, I, I should have done better, or you don't say anything at all. The thing that helps us sleep at night is this, salvation belongs to God. It's His power, it's not our words. This is what helps me do the job that I do. Ultimately, the power is not in what I'm saying. So in the times when I come up and I'm like, Lord, I just don't really know how it's going to work this morning. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, or whatever else might be going on in my life. But he assures me that there's power in his word. Salvation belongs to him. So I trust in him. May we trust in him that salvation belongs to him. May we endure any everything for the sake of the elect. So remember the gospel that is preached. Remember the gospel that is not bound. Remember the gospel that saves. And Timothy, remember the gospel that is trustworthy. You can trust it. Look at verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul begins by saying, The saying is trustworthy. Paul, this is a, a phrase that Paul uses quite a bit. He actually uses it five times in 1st. Timothy 2 Timothy and Titus in the pastoral epistles, he uses this phrase, it is a trustworthy saying. And he often uses the phrase when he is almost like a a confession statement of the truth of God's salvation, the salvation that he has embraced or the salvation that God has brought. And in this trustworthy saying, it's almost like a, a hymn or a poem or a song that maybe he write or wrote or that he inherited. And you know that the translators are telling us that it's some kind of hymn or, or song or whatever by the way they indent it in your Bible. It wasn't originally indented like that. But it is because there seems to be a poetic frame to it. And the first line of the poem, Paul is telling us, trust this. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Trust that. You can take that statement to the bank. Trust it. That's the beauty of our union with Christ that we were talking about last week. That we're so attached to him that when Christ died, we died. To our sin, to ourselves. That when Christ lives, We live. That's a promise for us. You can trust this. The gospel is trustworthy. If we have died with Him, we also will live with Him. Secondly, trust this. If we endure, we also will reign with Him. And that's what Paul wants Timothy to do. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying to Timothy, I endure everything for the sake of the elect and I want you to keep going and persevering. And if you keep persevering, do you know what's gonna happen to you at the end of life and at the end of your day? If you keep following Jesus by the power of the Spirit as the Lord leads and guides you, do you know what's gonna happen to you on the final day when he comes and reigns? You get to reign with him. That's the hope. Timothy, keep going. Don't give up. We are called by the Spirit to keep enduring. Brothers and sisters, that's what God is calling you this morning to do. Keep fighting like a good soldier. Keep running like a faithful athlete. Keep working like a hard farmer. Don't give up, no matter how hard it gets. This is a man in chains about to die. One day, Timothy, we're gonna reign with him. Keep your eyes on the price. Then he says, thirdly, trust this. If we deny him, he will deny us. If you are here this morning and you are rejecting Jesus, there's not a pass into heaven for everybody. We're not all going to heaven. It is those who believe and trust in Jesus. It is not about your good works. It is not about your good behavior. It is not about your good thoughts or your good deeds. It is about your faith in the one who is good in the one who lived a perfect life. And if you choose this morning to deny him, on the final day, he will say to you, I never knew you. And lastly, he says, trust this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself there is a rejection of jesus that's like the judas rejection in which you have eternal suffering but then there is a faithlessness that say peter exemplified when he denied jesus and it's in those moments where we fail jesus and we do where we are faithless and we are at times That we cling to this promise though we fail he never fails though we are faithless at times he is always faithful as aaron was leading us this morning he never changes we're all over the place have you realized that i am literally I know I probably look all together here, but like a lot of the time in life, things fluster me, mind, action, whatever it might be. I'm not going off the rails. I'm just trying to be honest with you. There is this reality that, that in life, we're, we're all over the place, always changing, whatever happens. We're, we're so very inconsistent in our Christian lives. But the hope that we cling to is He's faithful to bring us on to the end. So keep going. Keep running the race. Always remember. Do you ever wonder, like all the songs we sang this morning, we've sang them already before. Why do we sing the same songs? We sang them already. This Bible, I read it every Sunday. We've read it already. Why do we keep going back to it? This Lord's Supper that we're gonna celebrate, we do that every Sunday we've done it already so why do we keep doing it because we forget we need to be reminded every day every Sunday continually and that's the way Paul says the command it is continuous present command don't just remember Jesus Christ today remember him tomorrow Remember him the next day and the next day and the next day until your final breath when he calls you home. Brothers and sisters, let's remember Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this gospel that is good news to us. And we pray that we would always remember it and never forget. Help us to remember this gospel that saves. Help us to remember this gospel that is trustworthy. Help us to live for you and live for you alone. Lord, we need you and we thank you in your precious name, amen. We're gonna stand. And